Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 466 of the podcast and I'm recording this early but it's going out a few days before Christmas. So happy holiday season wherever you are in the world, whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, uh, hope you're having a good week. So today I'm sharing my conversation with Honor Ross uh, on the biggest news items for indie authors from 2019, but we also have a more in-depth conversation about the last decade, 2009 to 2019. This interview was broadcast on the Ask Ally podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, I have used a segment here as I thought you'd find it useful. So Joe Conrath, one of the early US indies, said that, quote, 2009 will go down in publishing history as year zero for the upcoming ebook revolution. And we have had a revolution because authors can now make a living with their writing. And 2009 really was the first year we could do that in the modern digital age. Now, this is very US focused. If you're listening from um, sort of outside, so so US and then obviously the UK, Australia, Canada, um, we've talked about, you know, Germany maybe a couple of years ago was year zero for Germany, like maybe 2016 for Germany um, and how, you know, how things are changing in different parts of the world. But certainly 2009 in the USA. Um, but there have been some changes along the way. And this is important to acknowledge because sometimes if we just look at one year, it feels like nothing's changed. And to be fair, 2019 was not a big upset year for indies. It was, you know, we know what we're doing and we can just get on with doing it. But there have been a lot of changes over a decade. So there, in this episode, we talk about some of the specific inflection points and what had to change in the indie author business model uh, all the way um, through. So we talk about 2009 for the sort of the, the launch of 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 digital publishing, um, 2011 for the 99 cent ebook millionaires, uh, when you could just put a book up for 99 cents, sell an absolute ton, hit the bestseller list, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those days are long gone. <laughs> 2014 when KU launched and 2018 for the end of organic reach and the rise of paid advertising. So those are, um, you know, four, if you include the beginning in 2009, four major changes in a decade. And I think we can expect the same in the 2020s. Uh, so, if you look at that, every sort of three to four years, there's been a change. So realistically, we're looking at 2021, 2022, we're going to see another big shift in the um, in the indie author business model. I certainly have been feeling that I, and I've talked to a lot of people who think, yeah, 2021, we're going to see a lot of things change. Um, but we'll be talking about that. Orna and I are actually going to do another podcast looking forwards into the 2020s. So that will um, be coming up in January. But anyway, as usual, don't worry. I am here to uh, continue to surf the change. That's kind of how I like to look at it. This uh, big wave, sometimes it feels like a tsunami. I, I know it can feel overwhelming sometimes, but I intend to surf it, continue creating, and uh, you can come along with me. 
uh, by listening to the podcast. So if you want to know the current state of how I personally self-publish and um, you and there are all the options are in there for ebook, audiobook and print books, check out my free ebook, Successful Self-Publishing, which is also in print and audiobook. They're not free. <laughs> Uh, but they're not very expensive. It's not a very long book. Uh, and I narrated the audiobook and also I updated this mid-2019. So it is it is current. It is the current state. Um, and there are links in the show notes if you want to refer back to anything that we talk about today. I hope you'll find this interesting and I would love to know what you think were the biggest shifts in the indie author world in the last decade. And, you know, even if you've been around as long <laughs> as me and Orna, I mean, like I did first self-publish in... 2000, late 2007, 2008, when my first book came out in print. And then I got onto Smashwords and then I got, you know, so basically I was self-publishing before the official start. (laughs) And I've been here for the whole of the indie movement. And this has been my choice from the beginning. But many of you will have come in since then. So do tweet me at The Creative Pen or leave a comment on the show notes with your thoughts. Right. Here's uh, me and Orna talking about it. We're going to come back to our future show um, in January. So for now, we are going to get into our topic for today. We're going to start with a look back at 2019 because Orna, at the beginning of every month, you post an article on the Alliance of Independent Authors blog at selfpublishingadvice.org. And today you did post a roundup of 2019. So give us um, a quick overview of what you think were the kind of key points from 2019. I think the most interesting thing about 2019 is that it wasn't all that interesting. <laughs> um, the last two years, yeah, the last three years, I think, um, we haven't seen a, a huge game changer. What we have seen is lots and lots of small incremental changes that we know over time build up to be uh, important things. And we're seeing a consolidation in the marketplace and we're seeing a growth in author confidence. I think that's the two things that we've we've been seeing for for quite a while. So some of the um, platforms had very good years where they brought really interesting and useful things to the indie community. I think Publish Drive had a standout year. They brought in lots of different um, innovations, a new ebook conversion tool, a collaboration tool, a uh, book categorization tool using AI and a, a new pricing option, which was great. Um, Find Away Voices in the audio world also had a great year. And now I think audio has kind of settled much more. There was not that long ago, uh, Indies thinking about audio only thought about Amazon ACX. I think now people are approaching audio very much in the way, and this ally recommends this, I know you do too, uh, very much approaching with the same kind of mindset, which is non-exclusive and reaching as many people and as readers as possible. And with print, you do that by combining Ingram Spark and Amazon um, KDP Print. And in the audio sphere, you're doing it really with combining somebody like Findway and um, ACX. So there are lots of things happening in the wider print world. Um, From a UK perspective, we have watched our biggest chain um, bookstores, physical bookstores chain, Waterstones, transform itself in the last few years and down to um, a a CEO who was brought in a few years ago to do that job and has succeeded in doing it, James Daunt, and he has now 
taken on Barnes and Noble, not instead of Waterstones, as well as Waterstones. So he's obviously a man with an appetite for work. Um, so a big, big job. Um, physical stores, obviously, trade publishers got a lot uh, of thinking and thought around that. And some um, indies who have a, a print store model, but as we know, they're very much in the minority we were thinking more about uh, Nuke and what might happen there. And it looks like it's going to be held anyway for a while because there was talk about it being axed. So it's still there and he intends to, to improve that and be an end.com as well. So, yeah, lots of um, BookBub brought in Chirp, uh, the first uh, advertising um platform aimed at audiobooks so you know they're aiming to do for audiobooks what bookbub has done for ebooks it's only in the us at the moment but presumably will be coming to the rest of the world as well and is already kind of taking off google has is indexing podcasts now and it will be easier for authors to use podcasts for to advertise their audiobooks so all in all audio is getting easier and easier i think that and we will continue to see that development and the other big thing I think that happened with advertising was Amazon has extended now um, Amazon advertising into the UK and into Germany and the rest of the stores. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah, nothing that I could find that was kind of really major game changer. Sometimes the game changers emerge when you look back, um, but um, it seemed to be yeah. a year of incrementals is how I would kind of think of it. That's true. I do want to add that I think this year, like we've about libraries, I think in the past we've had a few tentative approaches to libraries. You know, we thought when Overdrive went to Rakuten, which owns Kobo, we thought, oh, yay, library's going to take off. And then, um, you know, we've had uh, even Joe Comrath, like years ago, came up with a library thing. We've had selfie thing, but nothing has done much for libraries. But what I've personally seen, and I know a lot of other people have seen, is with Findaway, the distribution of audiobooks to libraries and the paper checkout model which you can get through Drafter Digital and Findaway means that you can say your marketing can be hello readers you can get my ebooks and audiobooks for free if you go to your library and ask them to request my back catalogue and I'm seeing growth in library um, checkouts and sales because it's free for the reader to go and get it from the library and it's much cheaper especially because we've also seen uh, one of the big publishers, particularly deciding not to put books into libraries within the first couple of months um, because they want to maximise sales rather than borrows. So I think, you know, the, for the library market, which I know is not like massively significant, but it's been so small for indies that this maybe has been a pivotal year for library borrows. I, I think that is right. And I think Kobo Rakitan being in that space has made a difference and and that mm. they you know that again like most of these things it's slow build libraries don't make your fortune but they are fantastic discoverability outlets and real readers are there and borrowing and there is research that proves conclusively that library uh, borrows lead to sales for indies as well as in trade publishing which has long been the case and yes there is that standoff between um, publisher a number of publishers actually mm. and the in the US in the US libraries and also some academic um, publishers and libraries as well there's a kind of a copyright row going on which to me doesn't make a, a lot of sense I have to say and which does represent a real 
opportunity for indies. And we love libraries, don't we? I mean, as authors, you know, I think we all have a love affair and find libraries to be highly romantic places. So it's great. Yeah. We do. So big tip, everyone. Um, first of all, go and request your favourite indie books into your library, local libraries, but also tell your readers to request their favourite books in libraries. So I think the more we can get the word out, the more that's going to help. Um, OK, so that is a great roundup of 2019. But what we're going to do now is step back in time uh, and do a decade of indie, which I really I really got quite excited about doing and spent some time preparing this today because I was like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. Because um, I have, you know, both of us have been around, you know, this long. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> the grand is, old dames of India. <laughs> I know, God, people call me like grandmother. I'm like, I'm not a grandmother, you know, <laughs> whatever. It's fine being a grandmother, but I'm not a grandmother of India by any means. Um, but basically, um, I'm going to start off because we're not going to go through excruciating detail of a decade. What we're going to talk about are some of our highlights, but also some of the main inflection points in the indie author movement and the indie author business models. Because what I feel is that, you know, things have really taken off, particularly in the English speaking markets at this point, but people don't necessarily realise that the business models have changed over the years. And if you take a year like 2019, where it seems like not much has changed, not much does change in a year, but a lot changes over a decade. And we can see that in our own lives as well as uh, in indie. So I'm going to start by just um, popping back to 2009. Joe Comrath, if people um, if people were around back then, or I've, we're going to put links in the show notes, J.A. Comrath was one of the first traditionally published authors to really make a big uh, name in the early indie space. And on one of his blogs, he said, 2009 will go down in publishing history as year zero for the upcoming ebook revolution. So what do you think about that quote, Orna? Well, I, I think Joe is American and I think it, it was year zero for the US. Absolutely. Um, Kindle, I think about 18 months before, um, 2008 was when Kindle came along and it was 2009 when US authors began to really see the opportunities and a lot of the opportunities in indie to this day, as we see with Chirp, um, break first in the US and then get rolled out into the rest of the world. And I think that was the year when it became viable to make a living as an indie author. And the early adopters saw that. And it definitely was driven by Amazon. And um, also the iPhone came along at that time. And people were generally, yeah, just availing of this opportunity and authors began to talk to each other. And you had this thing that emerged for the first time where trade published authors were kind of doom and gloom. And um, those who had started to self-publish, there was quite a bit of, oh, I never would, oh dear, no, um, you know, from a lot of authors. But the ones who were doing it were quite obviously having a great time. And, And those early adopters, they definitely got the benefit of that. Yeah, definitely. And although I self-published my first book in like 2008, 2009 was when I put my first book on the Kindle. I also started my podcast in 2009, which is kind of crazy. I bought my first iPhone in 2009 and was using it. Before that, I had one of those Nokias. So it was my first smartphone and I was doing, I joined Twitter in 2009. Um, I met you on Twitter. It must have been 2010, 2011. Um, And realistically, it was the beginning of the 
the transition to the consumption of digital media, which we can also put down to podcasting, audiobooks. Before then, it really was a, um, you know, we were kind of an MP3 stage with audio, but it was downloadable stuff. Um, ebooks had been around, but they were downloadable PDFs from websites. So they w- there wasn't like a reader particularly. And the Sony reader was around, but then, you know, the Kindle really made it mainstream. So 2009, a decade ago, um, US first, it really became viable for independent authors to make a living um, with their writing. So that was the, the beginning. Uh, then we're just going to skip ahead um, quite quickly. So 2010, Apple iBooks launched. So after Amazon being a pioneering company, um, iBooks launched. 2011 was when we really saw a tipping point with US Kindle millionaires. So the first Kindle millionaire, Amanda Hocking, um, it, it was an era of low priced ebooks. So put up books at 99 cents. You didn't even need much of a good cover. Like they, the covers were really crap back then. Um, and you could you could make a million. So we had Amanda Hocking, we had John Locke, and we had a couple of other uh, people at the time. Uh, it was, yeah, before the era. Oh, sorry. And we had me. <laughs> <laughs> Not a millionaire by any means. The opposite end of the spectrum. Completely. I wasn't a millionaire. I'm still not a millionaire. <laughs> but no, I think it's a two, 2011 was. So it had been there and I had been hearing about it. Um, and I was having, you know, I wasn't happy with where I found myself as um, an author. And um, so I kind of jumped in. No, I didn't. I dipped my toe very tentatively in this thing called self-publishing. What is it? I don't really get it. I'll give it a go. Um, so, yeah, I just thought I'd say that was when I started. So 2011. But you'd been watching the space, hadn't you? I can't say that I had been watching it all that carefully, to be perfectly honest. I had. I knew it was there. I had all the friends who were doing it. They were all very techie types. I'm not a techie type. Mm. I thought, ooh, you know, I can't. I thought that's kind of interesting. Um, I was wondering a lot about the rights stuff. That was the bit that, that always intrigued me. Oh, you get to keep your rights. That's interesting. But it wasn't until I did it that I became interested. So I really did tr- do it very, very uh, much in the spirit of an experiment. And I, I did a tiny little book, a tiny poetry book, And, you know, it's interesting about that early adoption thing, because I put that tiny poetry book up and it sold. And that to me was hugely surprising. You know, I was saying to you earlier on, I think it sold about 50 odd copies within a few weeks, which for poetry and me, you know, I just thought that was astonishing, to be perfectly honest, because I I know I had worked as a literary agent and I know that loads of poetry books don't sell 50 books in their entire life. So Mm. um, and again, it's down to what you said, a decent cover at that time was all you needed, no matter what the content was. It was, you know, all you had to do was put up there. And when I put my novels up, they were all, you know, they all just very easily rose up in the ranks. You put a book free you got to the top. It was a free mm. store. You switched over and you gained And you from, kept your you, ranking. <laughs> you kept your ranking. And that was marvellous, wasn't it? Do you remember those golden days? Oh, 
I remember those golden yes. days. So, but this is, and this is why we wanted to do this because these changes have happened so many times and each change people adapt. Um, what I was going to say there is 2011 was when the authors with a backlist, so Barbara Freethy and Bella Andre, who come out of romance publishing, had a backlist, I think, of 30, 50 books. And they were the authors who early on went, whoa, we're going to put our backlist up. And they were, you know, they were the big name indies um, in those days. Hugh Howey was, came in around then. Um, and also we saw a big discussion in the, in the media even of self-publishing versus traditional publishing, especially because Amanda Hocking took a traditional deal um, and then disappeared <laughs> off the radar. Um, but what, what 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 do you what do you remember? I guess of of that dominant time. I feel where everyone was like, "Ooh, self publishing! Ooh, traditional publishing!" Like bit of a fight. Yeah, there was, and I, I you know, the, and there still is to some degree. And I really think it's time we we forgot about all that. It's not a useful way of thinking about things for indies. We really need to think about this bundle of rights that we own and the multiple platforms and the multiple formats that we can put our books out in. And the fact it still remains, that is what the big fundamental thing that kind of intrigued me at the beginning, that fact that you keep your rights, you don't sell them, you can license them selectively for short terms as an indie, but you don't hand over the whole lock, stock and barrel. So there was then and there still is in some quarters. It's it's definitely um, has lessened, but it has it hasn't disappeared completely. The sort of prejudice against self-publishing as an option. There are all sorts of very specific historical reasons for that around vanity publishing and other things, which aren't really that important. But the media, I think it's it's worth saying, do not get your information about self-publishing from trade media press because still to this day it's reported in very inaccurate ways and that was true then a false war was set up between authors and between um publishers you know indie publishers trade publishers indie authors which isn't useful isn't real and and yeah i'd like to see the back off i hope that we with this decade turn of the decade let's see that one out and i think the next biggest change everybody would agree was the launch of kindle unlimited um so in 2014, this was the next pivotal kind of big, important move and a big, important shift. Um, so we saw Kindle Unlimited, which was KDP, Amazon KDP Select, changed really the way in which authors could publish and could market their books. And it was a subscription model. It was a good idea. You could see where it was coming from. The payment method was different to it was done on pages read Um but one of the issues was that the scammers came uh, into the store in a big way. That was one problem. Yeah, well, I think, um, and one of the, why we wanted to bring this up is that so many authors now came in after this shift. And there is a, a big mindset difference between those of us who have been around longer. Because for me, like people question why we would be wide. Um, whereas a lot of the, like we all started out as wide, like Smashwords has been around wide since like 2007, I think. Um, Mark Coke has always been wide and has always counseled against being exclusive um, with Amazon. What we saw in 2014 was suddenly there was a reason to be exclusive to Amazon. And of course, because most, you know, there's a big, the biggest market is the US still. Um, and the US mainly indies were based in the USA and they were like, oh, wow, you know, this 
this is great. So they all piled in. But then what we saw, what we have seen since 2014 is incremental changes in various algorithms. And suddenly that became the dominant conversation amongst the, you know, sort of growth in indie blogs and uh, Facebook groups and various other things. So I, we wanted to point this out. Like one, this was a significant shift. Um, you know, before that we had, you know, in the years before we'd had Kobo writing live draft to digital AC, you know, ACX, we mentioned that, you know, Ingram Spark, we, we had all these new companies that enabled people to go wide. And yet then in 2014, people were opting to really just go digital Amazon only. And the ramifications of that change were huge. So I can certainly say from my perspective that my book sales dropped um, at that point on Amazon and most people's sales, um, you know, without advertising, which we'll come back to, have not recovered from that pre-2014 moment because it used to be that customers could only buy and then suddenly they could be in KU. So for authors, was this great? It's questionable. Um, but all of these things are incremental change. Well, this was not an incremental change. This was a like a pivotal shift in the business model of being an indie. So um, I, I, any further thoughts on that? I think the answer is that for some authors, it was good. And for some, it really wasn't. And, and then the question is, is it good for the community as a whole, which is a, a different thing? Again, we saw the early adopters who went in, who cleaned up. You know, they did. Some people did really, really well at the beginning without having to do a whole lot. Um, but going, you know, KU now today is a very different place and space to the space that was there in 2014. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing that has changed, the conversation shifted from kind of trad pub versus indie, and then it became exclusive versus wide. Um, so that's been the kind of dominant conversation uh, between indie authors since then. And also a lot of misunderstandings about what these things mean, like exclusive only means your ebooks, your print books can be wide, your audiobooks can be wide. Um, but I think, you know, we haven't stopped, things have not stopped changing with those algorithms since then. Um, um, and we're going to talk in the next show about what might happen in the 2020s. But um, yeah, so that was 2014. Yeah, and it was there were only a few little things between then and it was almost four years later before we got the next pivotal thing. So, you know, we have Barnes & Noble uh, pulled out of the rest of the world and to focus on their US business. They sold the UK um, nuke to Sainsbury's, who then sold it on at a supermarket, who then sold it on to Kobo, which was, was fine. And we had the merge of CreateSpace and KDP Print in 2018. That was, was a significant thing, but not as significant as Amazon ads. <laughs> yeah, so 2018 was probably the next big shift in the indie author business model. Up until 2018, you really could just load a book onto Amazon and have some kind of organic reach. And of course, the same had been true on Facebook up to probably about a year before that you had, you'd been able to build a business on Facebook without paying for advertising. So what we had 2017, 2018 was suddenly the pay to play model came in. And it was sort of September 2018, 2017, something like that, when um, the big name authors suddenly reported a massive drop in organic reach and also bought. Um, and the big discussion was suddenly, oh, right, Right, we have to do something. And certainly I've noticed this. It, you pretty much now, we are past, we are a decade beyond being able to upload a book to Amazon and expect it to sell. And you and I both hear from authors every day who think that 
publishing involves loading a book up on Amazon. And yes, that's true, but no one's going to buy it uh, because no one can find it in the store. So this was possibly the the biggest shift in terms of mindset uh, to the independent author movement, because we had always been, uh, up until then, under the sort of idea that you could just put stuff out there for free and have it sell. So that was a huge moment. I think we're still, people are still trying to come to terms with this and and what you have to do. So what do you think about this, Orna? Well, I think there, you know, one of the things that I believe is that Again, it's a discussion that people, there there are various discussions in the indie author community that are had very publicly and then they're taken as being true of the entire community and they're not. And so what happened was that people who were kind of already successful, already selling books, had, you know, came in on the ads thing and then went and ads worked and then when ads stopped working so well for them, you know, this becomes kind of the conversation at that and it is assumed that everybody's experiencing the same thing. And what actually is happening with ads is that in any business, you have to market and you in any business, you have to invest money and time in marketing. And the situation, I think, whereby you could just launch a book and put it out there and it would sell was never going to be something that would last forever. It was. It is down to the early adoption thing, and the thing is that people didn't realise that. I think, and that led to a false conversation, and it's a false conversation that that then everybody thinks is actually the conversation, and that's that's the problem that I see again and again. So there are lots of people for whom um, Amazon advertising is not their marketing of choice who are selling books. There are other ways to sell books. And it's a big decision, you know, to decide to do Facebook advertising or or Amazon advertising. I saw an ad for a course recently that said advertising works. Well, yes, but it works in certain circumstances for certain authors with certain books. And that's not said often enough. So advertising is just a mark. It's just a way of marketing your books and you have to have some way to market your books. And the attention that we pay, the way in which we have the conversation worries me. I think that's the thing I'd like to say more than anything else. Mm. So I think, you know, when we consider it now, it's almost like if you wind the clock back a decade, you pretty much could do an ebook and upload it to KDP or Smashwords. I mean, because KDP was originally only for Americans, I did my first eBooks with Smashwords. So that was what we did first. And then, you know, and it was you who got me back into print around 2014, I think. I went, I, I, I wasn't even going to bother with print. Um, and then, as you say, where we are now, if you look at what's happened, we have had a huge expansion. And yes, it's been incremental, but there's been an expansion of opportunities for what we can do as independent authors. We can do ebooks in every country in the world. We can do print books in pretty much every country in the world, print on demand. We can do audiobooks all over, the, like in a lot of different countries, all over, probably everywhere, with through Findaway and various places. So, and then we can also do licensing. Many authors are now doing foreign rights licensing. Um, we can reach people through all these different mediums, through the internet. We can make a living with our writing. So all of that has happened, but it's, it's almost like it's happened bit by bit by bit. 
And yet, whoa, look at it. And now we've got so much choice. That's why it can be confusing. Absolutely. And though in some ways, somebody who's starting off now, coming in now, you know, sees three formats, ebook, print book and audiobook, and a variety of platforms. And you can choose to, you know, you can choose to go, of course, exclusive to any um, player or you use a distributor to take you wider than that. And so it isn't all that complicated now if you're coming in right now. I think the people who've had it most complex, actually, are the people who joined in the last two or three years. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the most important thing for me uh, as I kind of sit here and observe things is how hugely the confidence in the author community has grown. And I think we cannot underestimate the effect that that's going to have in the next 10 years. And we're not going to talk about the next decade because that's the subject of the next show. Um, but I do think that's the thing that as I look back over the last 10 years, as I think about myself 10 years ago, where I was on the floor, actually, not knowing where to go next, feeling really stuck because a lot of indie authors who have come into the space now don't remember the dark ages when you only could published through a trade publisher and if you had gone through um, a trade publishing deal and it hadn't turned out the way you wanted it to turn out you really were in a very difficult place or if you couldn't get a publisher you know the number of books that we lost um, in those years because authors just couldn't were, were stopped from going any further so for me that publish me please desperation that used to exist then very understandably that's still there a bit for some authors who want validation more than they want you know production or publication it's still there a little bit but back then it actually had a grip of our throat you know and authors were going into a negotiation with a rights buyer a trade publisher in a very weak negotiating position. You basically took whatever they offered and they didn't offer very much. So all of that's changed so completely. And I love that. That's the thing that to me is the biggest and most important thing that has come out in the last 10 years. And we should say, obviously, in 2012, the Alliance was founded and we've seen lots of author groups as well since then. It was a sort of proud indie movement, part of the global maker movement and um, independent creators, you know, force in, in every industry. We've seen it in music. We see it in art. We see it everywhere. So I think I agree with you. I think the empowerment is hugely important, um, putting the power in the creator. And then, of course, um, just to reiterate that although the fundamental, you know, hasn't changed. There have been these few inflection points that have made a big difference to how we make a living. And of course, this is the advanced salon. So we do talk about money. And I, um, in 2009, I had a day job and that's when I learned about, um, you know, how, how you could self-publish. 2011, um, cheap ebooks, 99 Kindle, 99 cent Kindle millionaires. I left my job in 2011. Um, 2014, which is when KDP Selects and KU came in. And then 2018, Amazon ads. Um, those are the kind of biggest shifts that I think uh, have impacted our business model of how we make a living. But of course, I all the way have made multiple streams of income, as have you. We have never made 
made our entire income stream from book sales. This is really, really important. Um, so yeah, what are the other fundamentals that don't change, Orna? We always talk about multiple streams of income. What else doesn't change? Well, you know, understanding the value of copyright and understanding the concept of what we're now calling selective licensing. I think that is something that you need to be aware of. You needed to be aware of it 10 years ago. You need to be aware of it now. You will need to be aware of it forever. That's a a sort of a core thing. Taking a creative approach, not believing, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of heated conversation in our community. We have a fabulous supportive community, but we can be a little dramatic at times. <laughs> and so don't believe everything you hear. And, and if somebody tells you something about self-publishing, test it. Try it for yourself because we're all different. We all have different readerships. We're at different stages in our career. And as we can see, things are constantly changing. So the only way to know whether something works for, or not for you is for you to give it a go and do everything in the spirit of I'm trying this out. If it doesn't work out, no worries. I've learned. And so I take that learning into the next thing, trying to get it right, trying to second guess the market, trying to do something that somebody else did. I see that not working all the time. And understanding that we are in business, I think that's the other core fundamental. It's not the same to be in business as to have a career. They are two different choices in life. And if you're running a business, up your business skills a little bit. I know a lot of authors have an aversion to business skills as a concept on the way they're taught a lot is very dry and very boring. I get all that. I am that kind of person myself. But knowing the fundamentals of how business works and what, you know, what a good business person does. So, for example, that marketing is part of, of publishing. Publishing is a business that isn't just production. It's also about marketing, promotion, selective rights, licensing and running your author business. So understanding that and giving yourself plenty of time to learn and to grow. So not putting a lot of time pressure on yourself, realizing this is, you know, a long term thing owning your rights, you own them forever. For 70 years after you, your family will own them. So there is no mad rush here. It's important to just get it right as you go. Yes. And of course, what also doesn't change is creating valuable intellectual property assets, which is, I think, how I'm framing it for 2020 in my goals is I create intellectual property assets, which goes beyond I write books. Um, that's how I'm really trying to think about it um, going forward, which again is two, it's two parts of the brain. I know the creative side, the business side, but they have to go together. Um, and that's how we're going to do this for a, at least another decade. Um, so we, uh, any, any other thoughts now or should we look forward? I think let's talk about the next time because I think that idea of intellectual property assets from our old copyright is a great way to finish this look back at the last 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So um, next show is going to be on the 6th of January, 2020. And we are entering the 2020s, which is kind of crazy. And so in our next show, we are going to think and Orna and I are both going to really have a think and do some research. You know, I'm obsessed with all of this futurist stuff. um, And Orna knows a lot about a lot more than she gives herself credit for around some of this technology. So we're going to really in the next show, look at what we think the trends 
are going to be for authors and creatives going into the 2020s. Obviously, we can't make predictions, but what we can do is look at what some of the things are that we're interested in that we think might impact you guys and also the things that we are personally doing to position um, ourselves for continued creative and business um, success. Uh, Anything else, Orna? And the fact, I think, that the future is here. A lot of the things that we're thinking about as, you know, oh, this is coming are actually there. They have arrived. (laughs) And I think it's important to to kind of recognise that and to begin to shift the thinking around that a little bit more in the community and get out of the, you know, the, the, the things that we talk maybe too much about and start talking about some of these incredible opportunities and potential that, that's coming and already here. Yeah, and also just to say we picked three or four um inflection points from the last decade. So you can expect there to be three or four inflection points in the author business in the next decade. And again, we can't pick what they are, but we have to expect that change will come uh, and we will be ready and we'll be here, won't we, Order? We're always here. Roaring 20s, here we come. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! So uh, I guess all that remains to say is happy holiday season to everybody. Hope you stay sane and get some creative work done amongst uh, all the festivities wherever you are. Yes, have a, have a great time. Happy writing, I hope, and a happy publishing till we see you next time. Bye-bye. So I hope you found our discussion interesting today and I'd love to know what you think were the biggest shifts in the indie author movement in the last decade or since you've been involved in, in the indie world. So please do tweet me at The Creative Pen or leave a comment on the show notes with your thoughts. So next week, it's New Year's Eve. Can you believe it? We're almost in 2020 and I will be sharing my 2019 roundup. Did I achieve the creative goals I shared on the 1st of January 2019? I will be talking about what I did achieve, what I didn't quite hit and why I changed direction or modified my goals. It might help you to reflect on your creative year. And as ever, I'm pretty honest about these things. So uh, yeah, expect some honesty. So happy holidays, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.